Thanks for listening to the Stimulate Run podcast. If you like what you hear, remember to subscribe, leave a rating and a review. If you would like to get in touch or have future guest suggestions, please make contact via email or slide into DMs on any of the social channels. Here's your host, Erwin, with this episode's guest. Okay. Well, listeners, we're in for a treat. My guest on this episode, episode 19 of season three, has inspired many. She's the original barefoot runner, two times world cross-country champion, former world record holder, dual Olympian, and I suppose a little event after my own heart, comrades finisher, Zola Bud Peterson. Welcome to the Stimulate Run podcast. Thank you. It's, it's nice to be here. Thank you. It's, um, I was chatting off air and saying that we've had some We've had some great guests, but, you know, as soon as I suppose we, you've agreed, I was over the moon and uh, the people I've told are absolutely excited to hear this as well. So it is well and truly going to be a treat. Um, to start, can you take us on a trip down memory lane to where running came into your life? I think my first memories of running probably goes back to even the days before I was um, in school. I remember visiting my aunt and they all lived on farms and she, she had um, mostly boys. And so we used to play like games outside and I remember they could never catch me at running games. So I was always quicker than, than the boys we, we played with and we rough out around. Um, so that was my first memory of running. I, I sort of started to realize, Oh, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm faster than the boys, so I must be good at this or something like that. But it was all just games. So that's that's my first memory of, of running. It, it's probably that. And then it slowly progressed through um, primary school and then into high school. Um, I remember my first race at grade one level because I, I went to school at the age of five and usually in South Africa, you have to wait till the the year that you turned seven. So I only turned six in May and the school year started in January. So I was very young for my age and small for my age as well. And I remember we did a, we had like the school sports and then, and I won the race, but um, they had like a piece of wool at the finishing line and it cut my throat <laughs> um, because it was, I was just so small or, or tiny. And, and I remember that quite vividly all these years. And, and that's how my running started. So, so a high achiever from an early age all the way through. If I, I wouldn't say high achiever. It's it's just at that time, that's all we did. We yep. played outside and played games and played around and um, had, uh, it, it, we grew up very, very simple and always outdoors. So I think it was just an extension of that. So from a child growing up on the farm to lining up at the Olympic start line, what were your dreams for the rest of your life? Like if I, if I gave you three wishes from that childhood, would you have seen one of those three wish, wishes being the Olympics or, you know, did you want to go to university and become a doctor or, you know, what, what would it have been at that stage? I think it, it was 1976 and we, we had glimpses of watching um, some of the Olympic games and I, I remember seeing Nadia Comaneci getting a perfect 10. Um, I was 10 years old then, and I, was, I thought, whoa, that's something special. Uh, if she's so young and she can do it, then it's, it's probably feasible for other people to do the, it as well. But I never thought I'd ever go to the Olympics, never. No, that was just something that 
started happening later on when, when I actually started running the qualifying times for the Olympic Games. So I think one of my wishes then, I would, I think my first love, I would have loved to become a farmer. <laughs> I think that was my first wish ever. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, financially that was impossible. And then uh, the other wish was um, maybe to become a nurse like my, my, my sister did. That was caring for people. And then the third wish was, um, I don't think, I, th I think that's more or less where it stopped. So I didn't really have a lot of ambition for my life. Uh, it was really more generated around my family and staying close to nature. I think, I think maybe a game ranger, but I think all girls when they're young want, want to be a game ranger. But I definitely wanted to work with animals. And when were you identified as somebody with talent, you know, like, were you tapped on the shoulder? Um, were you put into a program? Because also, I dare say, becoming an athlete wasn't a career. You know, if you said that to a school teacher or a parent or uncle and auntie, they would have laughed. Whereas now, if you say it, you know, it's very feasible. Financially, you'll be rewarded. But, you know, so when did you have that moment? I don't think I ever had that moment when was when I decided, oh, I want to become a professional runner. I I don't think I ever made that decision myself. It just sort of progressed because when I started training in high school with my new coach in grade nine, I just sort of started excelling and running well. And then after school, it was just expected of me that I continue my running and um, not really follow a career. So I don't think that choice was ever given me in a way. So I just more or less followed whatever happened at that time. Um, so I was very young as well because I matriculated when I was 17. So um, a year younger than most of my um, peers. So I, I don't think I really had knew then. I mean, sometimes even at the age of 55, I don't know what I want to do with my life. So yeah. <laughs> and you went to the University of Free State. Any particular choice or, you know, how did you identify what you wanted to do at that stage as well? I wanted to do nursing when I finished high school and my parents and my coach just said no way because if you do nursing then you won't be able to run and train and so I had to more or less study political science and I think South Sutu was my other major which is a local black language which I started with um, um, so I could train and, and still run. Um, in a way, not professionally, but still run seriously. Because at that time, there weren't any real professional runners. And then, obviously, the early stages of your uh, international exposure, uh, political science, do you now see such an amazing link between those two that played out? Oh, yeah. Um, I think political science is a very viable <laughs> option to study because it, it, it situates you almost in modern history. So I think that's really important to know where you come from and where you're going. And um, I think history should be made a science as well and not just politics because history is so much more important to us than current politics in a way. Um, but yes, I, I think, but then you also have to remember when I studied politics in, in South Africa, it was all about the national party. And I remember the first few months, the, the I wasn't at university long before we went overseas to UK, but an organization like the ANC wasn't even mentioned in our curriculum. So um, it, it's also where you study that that makes a difference. But I'm very interested in politics and I still follow it. And um, 
I have my personal opinions, but I tend not to make them public. Public. Yeah. <laughs> and did you find, you know, a lot of people will say, will and won't say, oh, you know, sport and politics don't mix, but, you know, you were right dead smack in the middle of that. Would your opinion as a university student be different to how that opinion is now? I think everybody evolves and everybody changes. And, and as you, I think you only have to leave to really get a, a, an opinion about your country and what's happening in your own country, you have, to, you have to leave. And at that time, you have to remember South Africa was very, very isolated. So we didn't have any international news or any international newspapers or anything. So it was only after I left South Africa that you can look back on South Africa and see what was happening in your own country. But while we were living in South Africa, we very, we lived very isolated lives in, in, in a way. Um, so we weren't really open to what was happening in our own country. And you did leave and, uh, you know, you've even, you've lived in the UK and the States. Do you, do you often pinch yourself at even just those small experiences growing up on a farm, going to university of free state and then everything else, but, you know, going full circle? Yeah. Um, to be honest, when I think of myself, I still think of myself as that little girl running barefoot on, on the farm and, and playing with her friends and my brother and the games we played and just being close to nature. I think after everything that happened, that's still the person I am. Um, I, I always told myself never to forget where I come from and, and keep my feet on the ground, my hands in the ground and stay as close as possible to nature and, and be mindful of where you are in, in space-time almost and not, not get carried away by almost the greed of society in a way. Um, so yeah, it does happen that you get, get caught into like the limelight and um, people expect a lot of things of you and you start living your life to please other people. But um, I think I've learned to more or less, in a way, isolate myself again emotionally and, and that to that person that I am and, and not to get carried away by what people expect expect me to do in a way if, if that makes sense and interestingly you the way you answered that because my next question was about you know there's a lot of information around mindfulness and staying present but also the importance of shutting off when you raced you know 5k zola approaching to say marathon zola it was that different and did you run by breath or rhythm i don't know uh, my mind just goes <laughs> so i don't know um, to be honest i don't know where i was when i was racing but it, it was almost as though i wasn't in that moment i was somewhere else i don't know it's it's a tough thing to 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 really have um distance and be objective about yourself um, about what you think of when you run or when you race when i run it's fine because then my mind is all over the place and, and you sort out a lot of problems. But when you race, you have to be, especially track, um, you sort of get into a rhythm and, and that's it. And, and you just run. I used to just run um, 200 for 200 and, and, and just get into that rhythm. And, and I think that that was more or less my strong point, just to stay at the same pace for a certain amount of time. And your ability, I think it's been stated that, you know, you would talk to your legs and go into your body. Um, firstly, like, is that true? And then can you share some insight into even that approach? 
I don't know. I think um, I think Edmund Moses uh, really he summed it up really well, and and I think at one stage he said, um, "Just don't think about it. Just let it happen." And I think that's probably the best thing because when you train, you think about pace and you think about oh, what I'm going to do and I have so much left in this race and in, in this training and I have to pace myself and all of that. But when you, I always say you, you train with your brain and you race with your heart. So when you race, you have to be, you have, to, it's, it's, you're not on conscious level. It's, it's, it's something else that you think, or you just let it go and let it happen. That, that's more or less. And I know in some races, when you try to think about it and I have to run all these lap times and this and that, and you just lose the plot. Whereas when I could just run and, and not worry about it and just ran as I felt and and didn't think so much about the outcome, it was very different. So in the way you're saying that, do you think that running now is overcomplicated? And, you know, if you had a group of teenagers, how would you consult them on running? My philosophy always, and that's something that my, my first coach taught me is to keep it as simple as possible. So, um, the, the more simple your life is and the more simple your approach to running is, there's less to go wrong. So I could literally show up at a race without shoes, without anything I'd be able to race. But other people have so many extra stuff they have to do. They have to have this special dream and that special thing. And yeah, so I think not to get caught up into the fashion of running, but stay in the spirit of running. That would probably be my message to, to youngsters because that will sustain you. Fashion fashionable running will not sustain you and social media so it plays it's played a big part in the boom of running as a sport um pop, like in the popularity comes with as positive and, and negative um are you happy though that it wasn't around when you were on the world stage oh my word i'm so glad it wasn't around when i was on the world stage i think i probably would have made more money to be honest, because you get more sponsors and likes and whatever, but I just don't know. It just, it just seems awkward for me to measure your level of success on how many likes you get and how many followers you have. It's just absurd in a way. I mean, if, if you had to go and explain to aliens, this is what our life has become, uh, they would just be flabbergasted. Um, so yeah, I don't, I think social media is good, but don't measure yourself and don't judge yourself, um, especially not when other people post because they're only going to post their best sessions and their best runs and their best races. You're not going to see the blood, sweat and tears that they go through. Because when you, when you think about your training, when I think about my training, I probably had one good training a week and most were mediocre and then the rest felt really bad. But um, you sort of zoom in on your good training and that carries you through. But and that's probably what people post on, on social media anyway. And it's interesting because runners of 20 to 30 years ago liked that nobody knew what they were doing and they could just turn up to the start line. Whereas now it seems like it, it almost needs to be every step of the way documented. Yeah, it almost seems as though people need that um, immediate gratification. I've run the session today, I have to post it on and People need to know how good I'm training. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't like doing that. I don't think I ever post anything about me training. Maybe sometimes when I run a race, um, I'd rather post something about my dog and what she does while we're running because she, she, she's a terrifying little 
personality to run with. <laughs> yeah. I have to, uh, as I mentioned in the, uh, the, the preview that you are probably the most famous barefoot runner. Um, but amazingly, you actually ended up getting footwear sponsors and you know, to a lot of people that would be a, a pure surprise. And I dare say now it wouldn't work. How, I suppose, was that your barefoot running, was that just a continuation of the way you grew up? Did you possibly then see an advantage in it? And the last part of the long question is, how did you negotiate that deal? Um, first of all, I think people sort of think I was a barefoot runner all the time, but I probably did about 60% of my training in shoes on the road. And then I think if, if I, when I was sponsored by a shoe company, it was actually a big compliment to the shoe company because um, I needed to run in a shoe that was really simulating um, barefoot running in a way um, and, and really uh, promoted professional, uh, efficient running. Um, so it was only when we, when I trained on grass or on the track that I ran barefoot but most of the time I was actually running in shoes. So that, that's a one misconception people have. And then I always looked for a shoe that was the most compatible with, with barefoot running because um, barefoot running, it's, it's not so much about the weight of the shoes. It's more about the elastic recoil when you run. So, and your proprioception and your reaction time. And when you're in the stance phase uh, in, while running, it, it's really fast and really quick and, and your proprioception running barefoot so much better. So, um, but that was only, that I only found out later, but when, when I was running barefoot, it was purely the way we grew up. Everybody went barefoot. And even now in South Africa, kids still run barefoot and go to school barefoot. So it's just a way of life. And, and all of my friends, we all train barefoot. Um, we just had shoes when we had to go out on the road. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a way of life in South Africa. And I just continued with that. I was telling my wife about this, how, you know, kids play sport like soccer and rugby barefoot. And because I'll, you know, unashamedly tend to, if I've ducked to the shops, I'll go barefoot. And I think it's just from yeah. how yeah. we grew up that, you know, you'd only wear shoes if you were really going out. Um, but it just became this way of life that you're playing outside. You only wore, wore barefoot. Yeah, I, I remember growing up, I had a pair of church shoes, school shoes and a pair of sandals for when we had to go to town. And my mom didn't allow us to go to town barefoot, but everywhere else we went barefoot. So yeah, we didn't spend a lot of money on shoes growing up, to put it that way. And I have to ask, what's your uh, thoughts on modern shoe technology? And I suppose particularly the carbon plated shoes. I believe people say it gives you a really great advantage. Um, I don't know. I mean, even if I'd run with them now, it wouldn't make a big difference in my running <laughs> the age of 55, I guess. But probably when, when I was young and, and I could have a pair of shoes like that, it, it probably would have helped me more, especially running on the road because I always ran with shoes on the road. Um, but also I think this, the carbon plated shoes are, are really for elite runners. So if you want to a split second here and there or a few seconds off your 5k makes a huge difference internationally but running a, a local park run or a local 5k or 10k race um, i don't think you really need that high level of technology shoes um, it's, it's not going to make you improve like minutes at a time 
You, you had a decorated career, both track and cross country. And a question who's come in from a running friend of mine was, for a distance runner, which do you think might be more beneficial? Um, which would be my um, running barefoot or running Oh, no, so track or cross country. I'm sorry, you, you broke up there. So, like, you track sorry, or cross... You broke up there. Oh, yeah, so track or cross country, um, which would you see it more beneficial for a long-distance runner? I would suggest doing both because I think both have, have benefits that, that's really important you're running. I think track, even if you don't race track or you train track, it just gives you... There's a different feel of running on the track. The way you run and your running style and your running form is so much different on the track. Um, I know track sessions are really hard for people who, who, who come from distance to go back to track, but I think that's really important. Um, and then the other thing, cross country as well, because cross country gives you that grit and endurance because it's probably some of the hardest races is, is, is running and racing cross country. So I would definitely suggest both. So it would be remiss of me not to, to go to this uh, angle now, Zola. And uh, 1984 <laughs> LA Olympics will oh, forever yes. sit in history. Um, you were recently part of the documentary with Mary Decker called The Fall. A, what's the reaction been? And then personally for you, was it something that you were apprehensive to be part of? Yes, I definitely was because I wasn't sure how she was going to approach it. And... Uh, and the other thing, I mean, it's been so many years and I didn't really want to go back there, but I've never been back there. So it was probably good for both of us. I wouldn't say get closure, but just um, get together. And, and we're really good friends. I mean, we've never been enem enemies, but we're really good friends now and um, keep in touch and keep abreast of what we're doing in life. And so it was really good. And I remember the one year when one of the athletes went to the nationals in, in Oregon, um, I actually went to visit a, at a house and, and we had a really good time and we have so much in common. It's actually scary. And I think that was probably the most amazing thing for me, but, you know, I suppose for the public is to see how the friendship of the two of you, because a, it was beat up that, you know, are there enemies and this is the history yeah. and obviously that creates theater, but I think as a, as a spectacle, it was actually nice to see that, the two of the truth was actually that you do get along. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the whole 84 Olympics was blown out of proportion because the Russians withdrew and there was no one to play Mary up against. If the Russians had still been competing 84, um, I wouldn't even have been mentioned. So, I mean, that's the truth of it. That's a long and the short of it. And I've read that you had a poster of Mary on your wall. Was this, obviously because she was your idol or was it also a reminder of that's the person that you'd, you'd really want to beat? Oh no, uh, Mary was out of my league. I mean, I never even thought of running against her or beating her. I just admired her so much after beating the Russians in the 83 world champs, both in both races. That was amazing. And then can you take us behind the curtain of what it's like you know to meet that person at that level so you know you obviously idolized her in some way or form and what was that first encounter like or even the first time you saw her at an event you might not have spoken to her yet but as a 
you know, a person who's looking at their hero, let's say, what was that like? I think as a young athlete, seeing it for, uh, for the first time and, and um, I was in, in awe, um, just being around athletes like her and she was my idol and now I'm actually in, in the same race as her. That was amazing. But then as a 50-year-old woman, uh, 30 years later, it was more respect for for her as a person and trying to get to know her. So I think that's a big change. It's it's not about athletics anymore. It's about the, the person you are. Um, but when, you, when you're 17, I mean, you... I was in awe of, of just about everybody around me, all the international runners. And then when did you have that I belong moment? Um, I think after winning the, the World Cross Country Championships in Portugal in 85, that was the first time that I realized, oh, I actually belong here. I, I do have a space and I do have a, um, I'm actually an international athlete. Before that, I never thought of myself as, as being an international athlete. It's only after I've, I've managed to, to win the World Cross Country Championships. Who, who would you say inspired you then and now, like even if it's changed at all? I'm sorry, I missed that question. So who would you say inspired you then and then who inspires you now? I think Greta Weitz was a big inspiration then um, as well. Um, um, like obviously Mary, um, there was, and then there was, there was a local girl in South Africa, Sarina Kronia, which I actually, as a child, saw her racing and running. So she was a, a huge inspiration as well. But I think some of my biggest inspirations came from um, some of the South African distance, the male runners at that time, because uh, we were all in the same boat and, and, and they couldn't compete internationally either. So I would regularly see them running our provincial championships and road races. People like Zolile Yarvel, Bethel Saribe, Janu Lane, Matthew Spotswari, um, Matthew Stamani, of course. Um, they would run like 60 minute um, half marathons and they would come to Bloemfontein and run like sub 29 minute 10Ks on the road. And I would run at 33 minutes and felt pedestrian compared to them. So I think they, they really inspired me you know, in a way that um, just just watching them because they were so gracious in the way they ran and and they was they were always chatting with you and I don't know that that, that was probably my biggest inspiration then um, and, and and I wish one one could actually just give them more um, recognition for what they achieved back then in in the eighties in South Africa it was amazing people I don't think people realize how how amazing runners they were I think today. It's tough today because I don't really follow athletics that um, I, I love following tennis and my husband's a golf nut. So I, I know all the golfers. I'm not really up to date with what's happening in international running. Um, so I don't really have anyone I specifically follow today or, or, or see as, as, as an amazing runner. I, I love following our local South African athletes and, and what they up to and, and try and be and encourage them. Um, that's more or less, yeah. And what skills has running taught you that you have transferred to daily life? I think perseverance, that's probably the, the best thing. And then to do the same thing every day um, and have faith in the outcome. Um, and 
I always tell my athletes when they have to run a race, um, how do you eat an elephant? And they look at me like I'm crazy and I say bite for bite. And, and I think that's what running has taught me. When you approach a race or approach training or want to have a goal in life or in running, um, do it step for step and, and be in the moment, be in the process. Don't worry so much about the outcome because maybe this process you're on is maybe it's not going to bring you at the outcome that you intended to, but um, you're going to get so much more out of it than, than just achieving the outcome. So the process is really important. Be process driven in everything you do. And people always talk about their why and, you know, your why in running, how has that at all changed? So what was your why when you were younger? And then what is your why now? I don't think my why has ever changed. So my why has more or less been consistently to run away from everything and everybody. <laughs> I think that's how, that's why I started running because I was just so useless at any other sport and we had to do a sport and I have no ball sense and I swim like a rock. So obviously running was good, but then it was also a space to get away from, from life in a way, because I like to be, I like to be by myself and I, I remember when I was training, um, I would always be excused because you don't have to go to the social and you don't have to stay up late or you don't have to, you, you need to sleep because you're training. So that was always a good excuse. And then to socially distance, um, it was, it's almost like a coronavirus, but in, in that sense. And then the other thing is um, emotionally, um, it's the only place where I feel like at peace with myself is when I run. Um, and it doesn't matter if, if it happened when I was 14 years old or 55, it's the only place I feel in the moment and at peace. And, and I think that's why I run. Do you still love competing? And, you know, if you turned up to a race or if you're playing table tennis, are you still as competitive as ever? I was never competitive in anything okay. else except running because I knew my limits. <laughs> It was, like I said, I was, I'm so bad at anything, everything else. But um, so running, I, I was always competitive, very competitive. Now it's more competitive against myself. So against keeping old age at the door. Um, yeah, so, so that's more or less my, my competitor at the moment. And I haven't, I haven't raced in a while since COVID or anything. So um, I think I've more or less lost touch with that racing feeling in a way um but i'm always up for a challenge so yeah well going into my next subject we semi made a pact that we would uh both go to an uprun at some stage but uh again it would be i'd get um scolded by some of my running mates if i didn't ask you about comrades you you have as a south african ticked off a lot of the the two do's you know two oceans you did um as com and comrades as a rite of passage Comrades gold medal. Um, what was that experience all that you thought it would be doing those events? And, you know, can you talk us through what it was like going back as you going to do those races? Oh my word. Um, so the first comrades, um, oh my word, I just lost it. Um, when you, when you go through the first marathon mark and you realize you've run a marathon, but I still have more than a marathon to go. I think my mind just, blue and then at 60 case i was i was just so tired and then bruce came by and i started running with him and he helped me and nursed me through and and i helped him so if it weren't for bruce that was a great experience to run with him i told him all the jokes i knew and he was just 
he was just very grumpy because he was in so much pain and I was just like out of it. So, yeah, I think the, the first comrades was just trying to survive. And then the next one was supposed to be the uprun, but I got the flu. And then the last comrades I did in 2014. Um, I think that was probably the toughest experience I've ever had in my life and emotionally just just to hang in there because you get around about 70 k's and you still have like 28 k's to go or something and although you've run like 70 k's 28 k's or 20 k's just uh it's 18 k's to go I'm sorry my math is really bad but it's it just feels like forever you won't be able to do that and I remember walking um I think I ran an eight minute K and I was just walking and eating and drinking everything I could find along the road. And this friend of mine just came by and he said, Zola, you've been through so much worse in your life than this little comrades. And, and it, it was almost like a switch in my mind switched on and I started running and, and I finished seventh. I don't know where that came from or what happened because I, at that moment I just realized, yeah, Zola, yeah, you've, you've had three kids, you've actually had twins. So, so comrades can't be as bad as that. So, um, so that was my experience of comrades. I think it's all a mind thing. Definitely. It's just a mind thing. And then do you ever reflect on that now and go, you know, you went from achieving in track cross country and then to go into the ultra sphere where growing up, you probably never thought that you would go when you were in the track side of things how do you how does it all um balance out and where, where does it weigh in the importance of what your achievements i think for me personally it it was such a big barrier to overcome because i really i really battle doing longer distances anything anything longer than a 15k i really battle because i have i've i suffer from hypoglycemia and in insulin intolerance and stuff like that so if my I have to make sure that what I eat and drink is, is really good. Otherwise I'll just pass out. So, um, so for me, it was a big personal challenge to, to overcome this and, and get the right stuff to drink and eat and, and, and go through a few of those dips that I went through and, and knew that I'm, I'm going to survive. So I think on a personal level, it's probably up there as probably number two or three in, in, in my career. Definitely. And for somebody who has, you know, been through so many different forms of adversity, can you provide some advice to listeners who might be doing, you know, similar or in a less magnitude, probably, but, you know, can you share any insight? I think, first of all, don't take yourself too seriously. I think take a step back and, and try and, and get an objective view about what you're doing, because sometimes the things we do are just stupid and ludicrous and the things we want to do are just like crazy and, and we don't have insight in it. But So get someone in your life that you really trust and can guide you um, um, to, just to give you some objective view about what you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve in life. Um, I think that that's really important. And, and like I say, have a, have a sense of humor and just laugh about, laugh to yourself, um, and laugh about yourself and, and the stupid stuff you've done in your life. I think, I think that will relieve a lot of the tension because don't take life too seriously. Life is so short. And even though we aim for goals and aim for things in life to, we want to achieve certain things. Um, 
it, it doesn't happen. I mean, I've probably lost more races than I've ever won and have had more bad days in running and training than good days. But that's not what it's about at the end of the day. It's about the process and, and, and feeling the, I wouldn't, don't want to get too philosophical, but feeling the spirit of, of being out there and being able to run and be in the moment and experience nature. I think that's, that's more important than anything else. And is there anything else on your, on your bucket list? You know, is there anything else you still want to achieve and you've got on your, your wall, your goals wall? Well, I think one always have to have goals. Um, I'm currently studying um, my PhD, so I want to complete that hopefully in the next year or two. So that's, that's my bucket list. And then I still want to go back and finish the London Marathon, which I never did. So that's another one on my bucket list. But maybe go with my daughter and, and do that. I think I'd love to go back there and, and, and just run up that, that last mile on the red on the red paving i think that that'd be a great experience to do that and zola to finish i always ask um my guests if you had a message to your younger self what would it be oh my word that would be so <laughs> <laughs> uh, i don't think i can repeat it in public <laughs> <laughs> but i guess if i could if i had a if i could if she would listen to me now which I'm not sure she would because she was very stubborn, um, probably not take running so seriously and not, and, and have a career and not, not just do running. I think that's probably the most important thing I would tell her. Well, Zola Bud Peterson, I cannot tell you how grateful I am. Um, and I'm sure the listeners are for you for joining me on this episode and, well and truly uh, ticked another person off my bucket list, but it's been an honor to have you on. And thanks so much for being so accommodating and yeah, for passing on so many learnings that you've had over your time. Thank you so much and, and good luck. And hopefully maybe one day we'll do the uprun. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, hopefully I, I might I, have to, uh, yeah. we've got it in audio now. So um, I think uh, uh? <laughs> we might be held account, I think. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> All right.